Well, hey, this is your old friend Bill. Whenever I find myself in Davis, I'm busy putting the fun in fundraising. But when I'm not, I always listen to KDVS 90.3 FM. And you should, too. Go Aggies! This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We, uh, we have a great deal of fun at doing this show, but, but I got to tell you that sometimes, uh, week in and week out, delving into what's going on politically in the U.S. and around the world, uh, takes its toll. It's hard to sort of keep your chin up, which is why we frequently like to delve into other areas of human interest that constitute public affairs, why we interview people like uh, Eli Wallach, why today, in fact, we're going to talk about the World Cup with our sports correspondent, Sean Minton, why we're going to talk about a few science topics, because if you think about it, the world of science, the world of art, literature, uh, and even sports, entertainment, um, really is is something that's just a marvel in the modern age. There are so many rewarding things that one might get get yourself involved with that we, you know, uh, we like to make mention of, of most of those. Later in our first segment today, we're going to do a roundup of some of the things that are going on politically and, and do a review of some of the articles that are out there. And... Um, I'm glad for some feedback from some of the listeners I've gotten of late that said they appreciate the time we take on this show to try and analyze what is going on out there and present it in a coherent way. For example, one listener who likes to send us uh, emails on a regular basis noted that she was surprised to realize that in the breakup of the old USSR that America now has bases all over what used to have been the Soviet Union. Places like Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan... Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, well, there used to be five so-called republics that made up the USSR. We now have bases throughout all of these former Soviet republics in Central Asia. It's a strange thing to think about, and until I pointed it out, she had said, you know, it just never occurred to me that we have bases in what used to be our old adversary. So we find such positive feedback encouraging and and, and want to continue doing it uh, as best we can. I'd like to point out that on next week's program, which will be on July 20th, we're going to have a special 10-year anniversary look back at the downing of Flight 800. We're going to talk to a couple experts in that area. If you're uh, paying attention to what's in the mainstream media, you uh, have been misled into believing that 747s occasionally just blow up. That has been offered with a straight face as the official explanation as to what happened to Flight 800 uh, on its way to Paris uh, 10 years ago. The truth is, Flight 800 was downed by an errant missile fired by the United States military. It has been a remarkably successful cover-up, and we're going to talk a bit about that on next week's show. Uh, you know, that we should stress that this was an accident. This was not an act of terrorism, although the FBI took charge of the investigation on the premise all along that it was a terrorist act. We hope to bring on next week's show someone who uh, worked that flight 
and should have been on it that day, but traded at the last moment. We're also going to speak to some forensics experts who have dug up evidence that's pretty incontrovertible that uh, that this was an accident, an accident by the military, which has been covered up. If you can study uh, what happened in a cover-up uh, of this nature, you can learn a lot about how uh, information is massaged by our government. Okay, on this date in history, July 13th, a rather uneventful one, uh, it turns out. In the year 1917, a vision of the Virgin Mary allegedly appeared to three children in Fatima, Portugal. Despite the fact that the evidence for the apparition of the Virgin was uh, somewhat weak, in spite of the rather weak evidence for this apparition of the Blessed Virgin, uh, the site uh, subsequently became a, um, a place of visitation for religious pilgrims. I was curious to note that although it's a Christian pilgrimage site, the name Fatima was originally an Arabic name, meaning she who weans, being the name of the daughter of the Islamic prophet Muhammad. After the advent of Islam, it became a common Muslim name for women. On this date, July 13, 1925, the Ziegfeld Follies Burlesque Musical Review, looking for a last-minute replacement for W.C. Fields, who went home to attend his mother's funeral, picks up a struggling, unknown comedian named Will Rogers. And on this date in 1930, the first Soccer World Cup began in Montevideo, Uruguay. The home team, Uruguay, would beat Argentina 4-2 in the final to become the first World Cup champions over 13 other competing nations. We'll have more to say on the World Cup to follow. Our quote of the day today comes from George Carlin, who said in a rather surprisingly unfunny book, When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chops, uh, one line of note, which was that, uh, by the way, None of the Bush religious fanatics will admit this, but the destruction of the World Trade Center was a faith-based initiative. For our uh, stats of the day, we're going to cite several from the latest Harper's Index. Um, how about this, this, this pair? Percentage of Americans who believe that most Americans are too fat, 90%. Percentage who believe that they themselves are too fat, 39%. <laughs> All right, how about number of times President Bush's signing statements have exempted his administration from provisions of the new laws? 750. Total number of times all other U.S. presidents since George Washington have done this? 568. Rank of atheists among minorities whom Americans are least willing to allow their children to marry? First. <laughs> Rank of Muslims and African Americans, respectively, second and third. And the two most disturbing statistics from the latest Harper's Index, ratio of the amount of energy used in producing corn ethanol to amount yielded when it is burned in gasoline, one to one. So every gallon you burn has already used a gallon's worth of energy to be produced. Part two is even more alarming. Ratio of the amount of energy used in producing gasoline itself to the amount yielded when it is burned, six to five. In other words, for every five gallons of gas you burn in your car, already six gallons of energy have gone into putting it into your tank. And one final statistic from the Associated Press, 
Iraq's oil exports have slipped to 2 million barrels a day. This is their lowest level since the U.S.-led invasion in 2003. We would remind you that a few weeks back, Greg Palast explained how the war, one of the main uh, subplots of the war in Iraq is to make sure that Iraq has a decreased production of oil. Well, the stats seem to back Greg up on this one. We should note, too, that we're talking to the people who produced Who Killed the Electric Car, coming out of Sony Pictures, and we hope to bring them uh, uh, to you, the listening audience, in the not-too-distant future. And although we've found it very hard to agree lately with Thomas L. Friedman, who, when he writes in the New York Times, we did like uh, the following excerpt from a recent uh, column of his. Is there a company more dangerous to America's future than General Motors? Surely, the sooner it gets taken over by Toyota, the better off our country will be. Why? Like a crack dealer looking to keep his addicts on a tight leash, GM announced its Fuel Price Protection Program on May 23rd. If you live in Florida or California and buy certain GM vehicles by July 5th, the company will guarantee you gasoline at a cap price of $1.99 a gallon for one year with no limit on mileage. So guzzle away. Lady Ron Friedman points out that not only is GM subsidizing its gas guzzlers, but not a single member of Congress will stand up and demand what most of them know, that we must have some kind of gasoline tax to compel Americans to buy more fuel-efficient vehicles and to compel Detroit to make them. He asks, where are the presidential aspirants on this issue? I've yet to hear John McCain, Mitt Romney, George Allen, Al Gore, or Hillary Clinton support at least a 350 a gallon price floor for gasoline so that it will never fall below that level and alternatives can really flower. Pretty good piece. Recommend you pull that one up on the web. Thomas L. Friedman. Hits the nail on the head with this one. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for getting rid of royalty when it was revealed that Victor Emmanuel, the crown prince of the Savoy dynasty, who would be the king of Italy had not the nation uh, banned the monarchy after World War II, was placed under house arrest, allegedly for procuring prostitutes for mafia bigwigs in a Swiss casino. By the way, this isn't the first time the king, uh, the, the would-be king, has been embarrassing to Italy. He was acquitted in 1978 of manslaughter after shooting a German tourist in a fit of rage on a yacht trip. And in 1997, he declared that fascist dictator Benito Mussolini's anti-Semitic racial laws, quote, weren't so terrible, unquote. On the other hand, last week was a bad week for miracles after an Argentine soccer fan rose from his wheelchair in excitement during his team's World Cup victory over the Netherlands. It turned out that the man and two friends were pretending to be disabled simply to obtain cheap tickets to the game. All three were ejected. And finally, it was an ugly week for America's ongoing battle with telemarketers when it was revealed that top-secret homeland security hotlines across the nation have been barraged by telemarketers, which has forced the government to place the number on the national do-not-call registry. 
This uh, secret hotline was supposed to connect the federal government to the governors of the 50 states in event of a national emergency, but said Governor Ruth Ann Minner of Delaware, every time that phone rings, it's telemarketers. Wisconsin Governor Jim Doyle said that when the hotline phone rang in the early days of the Iraq war, he grabbed it in a panic, only to have someone ask him if he was happy with his long-distance service. All right, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, we would note with some happiness that an issue we've been pounding on on this program, which seems to not be getting the attention it deserves in the mainstream media, got into Newsweek in the May 29th issue when a... a, uh, the column called The Technologist by Stephen Levy addressed the issue of whether your vote will count in 2006. It was noted that earlier in May, a report by the Finnish security expert Harry Hursti analyzed Debolt voting machines for an organization called Black Box Voting. Hursti found unheralded vulnerabilities in the machines that are currently entrusted to faithfully record the votes of millions of Americans. They quoted Avi Rubin, Johns Hopkins University computer science professor, who said if Diebold had set out to build a system as insecure as possible, this would be it. We're glad to see how this is climbing on the radar screen of the mainstream media. Lou Dobbs, apparently on his program, has denounced uh, uh, electronic voting machines. And recently, Court TV's Catherine Cryer called the electoral crisis a full frontal attack on democracy. Her uh, video editorial can be found on the web in which she notes at one point, if we're willing to send our troops around the world to secure freedom at the ballot box for others, shouldn't we fight for that right here at home? Pretty good question. We're glad it's being asked. We'd like to also cite last Sunday's Sacramento Bee feedback section from the public editor Armando Acuna, noting that the WMD story that was being uh, touted by uh, Senator Rick Santorum and Congressman Pete Hoekstra, uh, that the allegation being made that, well, they found WMDs, they dug up these gas, uh, gas canisters that experts have said predate the 1991 uh, first Gulf War and probably go back to the Iran-Iraq War of the 1980s. These were clearly not the WMDs we uh, allegedly had to go to war with Iraq over. And uh, Acuna noted that, you know, trust me on this. If WMDs are found, it'll be big news and it won't take the harangues of a TV talk show host to make it so. He's referring to the fact that uh, numerous B-readers, after getting this so-called revelation on Fox News that they'd found WMDs, called up angrily to, uh, to complain that the B was not covering this. The article was titled, WMD Story Was Mostly Gas, But It Struck a Nerve. I just wish that America's newspapers would put on page one, you know, Fox News reported the following incorrectly and misleadingly to support the lies of the administration and just call a spade a spade. People who think that Fox News is giving them uh, the real inside story, well, you're probably not going to convince them. But, you know, for the people, the the vast majority of people in the middle who uh, are sort of swayed by this propaganda, they need to be told that it is propaganda in the most simple and plain terms. And we're pleased to note that uh, Newsweek magazine's uh, July 3rd issue in the Periscope section uh, did call a spade a spade. 
asking the question as to whether North Korea and Iraq were trumped up threats. The magazine quoted officials regarding these uh, these so-called gas canisters as saying that uh, uh, while these officials, who also requested anonymity because of the sensitive subject matter, said all the shells were manufactured before the first Gulf War in 1991. So in the wake of this so-called revelation, people in the government are taking the press aside and saying, oh, no, no, those are old. Don't, don't quote us, but th- those are old. Someone who apparently was willing to be quoted was, uh, was David Kay, who, the man who was in charge of the U.S. weapons hunt in Iraq from 2003 to early 2004, told the AP that the current condition of the sarin nerve gas produced in the 1980s was, quote, less toxic than most things that Americans have under their kitchen sink, unquote. Newsweek noted that after provoking debate over new intelligence on North Korea and Iraq, the Bush administration last week found itself tamping down the hyperbole it had initiated. I tell you, it's all about getting the public shook up for, uh, you know, for the purposes of the powers that be. You know, it might be a good moment to return to what Tom Ridge said many months back. Remember this? The Bush administration periodically put the USA on high alert for terrorist attacks, even though then Homeland Security Tom Ridge argued there was only flimsy evidence to justify raising the threat level. You remember this? Ridge Ridge went public, said he often disagreed with administration officials who wanted to elevate the, the threat level to orange or high risk of terrorist attack, but he was overruled. Now, we haven't heard much about these boneheaded uh, colored alerts lately. Apparently, uh, they revised or uh, they revised that coded, uh, color-coded alert system uh, after Homeland Security Chief Michael Chertoff took over. But, you know, there's no better example of, of I think, how we are uh, jerked around by the administration, who doesn't want to necessarily give us the real story, but is trying to get us to do what it wants for its own reasons. Uh, there's no better... Um, Example of this, then the Mother Jones article that appeared in the March-slash-April issue this year, titled Heroes in Error. Based on an exclusive investigation by Jack Fairweather, the article delved into how a fake general, appliant media, and a master manipulator helped lead the United States into the war in Iraq. The article describes how in the ramp-up to the Iraq war, Chris Hedges... New York Times reporter, and Christopher Buchanan with PBS's Frontline were brought to Beirut, Lebanon for a meeting which was said to be with General Jamal al-Gurairi. In a hush-hush set of meetings with the reporters, this supposed direct eyewitness, a general from Iraq, said he witnessed training of foreign militants to hijacked aircraft taking place near an airbase in Iraq. The story about Arabs uh, in Iraq training for hijacks, uh, hijacking aircraft, appeared on the front page of the New York Times subsequently, whereas a frontline special gunning for Saddam mentioned the charges uh, on television as well. Although uh, cooler heads in the media were seriously questioning this story, it nevertheless appeared in Vanity Fair, the London Observer, and in, in many locations. President Bush used the story on September 12, 2002, in his address to the United Nations. Well, it turned out that this meeting and others had been fostered by Nabil Moussaoui, who was with the Iraqi National Congress. He was their political liaison. And it turned out that the so-called General Jamal al-Ghurairi was actually an Iraqi army sergeant named Abu Zairab. 
Zairab was not the senior intelligence official and general that he had uh, claimed to be, but he was coached by the INC as to what to tell reporters and apparently succeeded in getting this disinformation into the American press. Well, there, there's no apparently about it. He did succeed. This took place about the same time that Ahmed Chalabi was uh, manipulating Judith Miller at the New York Times and was also pro- proving to be a good source for Lowell Bergman, the 60 Minutes producer made famous by the, uh, the movie The Insider, wherein he was played by Al Pacino. We think you ought to look up this uh, Mother Jones article and, and read it in its entirety. It is fascinating to see how in 1991, the Rendon Group, a PR firm, had been hired... Like they'd been hired pre-Gulf War I to plant atrocity stories in the British press so that they would then filter their way into the American press. They were remarkably successful at this, and apparently 12 years later were called upon to do it again. The article notes that in 1998, the GOP-controlled Congress came up with the Iraqi Liberation Act, which devoted $17.3 million to the State Department, quote, for the collection and dissemination of information, unquote, regarding Saddam Hussein's misdeeds. So while taxpayer money was being devoted to, to, to portraying Saddam as a bad guy to the public, uh, uh, Robert Baer, former CIA base chief in northern Iraq, uh, noted that there was a feeling that uh, Ahmed Chalabi was prepping defectors. We had no systematic way to vet the information, but it was obvious that most of it was cooked. Fascinating to note that uh, Ahmed Chalabi's people went to the expense of spending uh, $25,000 to, uh, to put up an Iraqi sergeant in a hotel in Beirut, bring over American reporters, and lie to them about what he'd witnessed in Iraq. Of course, now that the INC and, uh, and neoconservatives and other uh, allied groups succeeded in getting a war in Iraq, well, Chalabi's managed to maneuver himself uh, pretty well. He was, uh, he was persona non grata. He was accused of uh, passing information to the Iranians. But of late, Chalabi has become a stern critic of the U.S. occupation and has made sufficient inroads with the Shiite clergy to get elected to the National Assembly. He's been the deputy prime minister, he's been the acting oil minister, and uh, by last fall he was again being wooed by the Bush administration as the most secular member of Iraqi of Iraq's Shiite-led government. When Jack Fairweather spoke to Chalabi in 2004, he told him, As far as we're concerned, we've been entirely successful. That tyrant Saddam is, go- is gone, and the Americans are in Baghdad. What we said before is not important. The Bush administration is looking for a scapegoat. We're ready to fall on our swords if he wants. We are heroes in error. The part I like best about all of this, uh, you can understand why a guy like Chalabi, you know, an exile living in the United States, uh, would like the U.S. Army to go in, depose the leader of the country, and make him and his people the leaders. You know, that would be you know pretty high on, on an exile's wish list. But uh, the horrible thing about it is, you know, they lied about everything. And apparently pretty successfully. Uh, I wish this was on page one of America's newspapers. Uh, you, you may have noted that three months after the uh, invasion of Iraq in 2003, a Washington Post opinion poll showed that 69% of the American public believed that Saddam Hussein had had a role in the September 11th attacks. So you can see how a master manipulator, you know, and a fake general will be employed by people with an agenda. But uh, the sad part about this article is how a pliant media played into all of this. Anyway, 
Look up the article on the web. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. We're going to take a slightly more upbeat tack in segment two when we talk about the World Cup with our sports correspondent, Sean Mitten. Stay tuned. Thank you. 